Support for Check the Pantry comes from the Grog Shop Wine Club, which each month provides members with two or three bottles of unique wines that are currently unavailable in the Homer market. These wines are curated by Patrick Driscoll, who's worked at Michelin Star Restaurants in New York and is the only Level 3 sommelier in Alaska. More information at 235-5101. Additional support for this season of Check the Pantry comes from Bay Realty. Bay Realty has been listing and selling homes, lots, acreage, multifamily, commercial properties, and property management in the southern Kenai Peninsula since 1974. Learn more and view current listings at bayrealtyalaska.com or by calling 235-6183. Some foods are polarizing, and beets are one of them. They're either hated by those who think they just taste like disgusting sweet dirt and beloved with equal fervor by those who think they taste like delicious sweet dirt. We're experimenting with beets today, looking for ways to serve them beyond roasted in a salad or borscht. From KVBI in Homer, Alaska, my name is Jeff Lockwood, and it's time to check the pantry. varieties of the species beta vulgaris. There's chard with its rainbow of stems. There's mangelwurzel, which is grown as animal feed. And then there's the two biggies, the common beet or beetroot and the sugar beet. They're all the same plant chosen for different attributes. Native to the Mediterranean, beets were originally grown for their leaves. They quickly differentiated into red and golden varieties, but the roots remained small for centuries thin and long, more like a carrot than today's globes. It wasn't until the end of the 16th century that the root began to swell into the familiar form that we know. It gained popularity as a salad vegetable, and Eastern Europe, particularly Ukraine, took to it in a big way, most famously in borscht. Through most of its habitat, though, it remained more of a sideshow. If the colored form of beta vulgaris never achieved the staple status of its root cousins, potatoes, taro, or yams, its white variety certainly has. It wasn't used much except for animal feed until Napoleon simultaneously found himself down a sugar-producing colony when Haitian slaves successfully revolted against French rule and also cut off from other global sugar markets by the Royal Navy. France needed a new source of sugar, preferably one that could be cultivated closer to home. There was a small developing sugar beet industry in Silesia in what is now Poland it had been funded by Prussia's Frederick the Great in the 18th century. There, scientists had managed to refine both process and plant to produce usable quantities of sucrose. No one was terribly interested, however, because the sugarcane trade was massive and well-established. But Napoleon was cut out of that trade, and soon sugar beet fields sprouted across northern France. The sugar beet, unlike sugar cane, grows in temperate climates, not in the tropics. Other European countries took note of the new domestic French sugar industry and saw a way to reduce reliance on far-flung supplies of what was rapidly becoming a high-demand product. By 1880, sugar beets accounted for more than half the world's production. Today, sugar cane has resurged, and beets are now down to about 20% of production. In the U.S., though, about 55% of domestically produced sugar comes from beets, and across Europe, beets still account for virtually all of it. Even if you hate table beets and are one of those who looks down on beet sugar, despite it being chemically identical to cane sugar, the refining process still has its uses. The beet molasses left over after the sugar has been stripped out is being used in northern areas as a road de-icer, less damaging than just about all the other choices to cars and the soil. It's a helpful winter vegetable in more ways than one.
When I was a kid, like a lot of kids, I hated beets. Now, I'm older, wiser, and I do like beets. I think part of the reason I didn't like them as a kid was in part just sort of a general obnoxious kid's objection to vegetables. And then my mom never really cooked them. We didn't, we didn't really eat a lot of beets or <laughs> we didn't really ever eat beets. The only real exposure that I ever really had to them was beets in a can. And beets in a can are, I mean, they really are, they're revolting. We all know this. <laughs> it's disgusting. But I've since come to develop an appreciation for the humble beet. Although I still, I really don't cook them that often. <laughs> I think in part because they're not really something I really think about just because I didn't grow up eating a lot of them. Also, my wife's not super into them. But I'll just have to make her something else tonight because I am going to be making a roasted beet galette today. Roasting beets is, of course, a magnificent way to cook them. And I happen to have some beautiful local beets from Synergy Garden. My oven going to 375. All I have done with these is slice them into fairly thick pieces, really, between an eighth and a quarter of an inch, somewhere in there. And I'm gonna roast them in the oven. I want them to be kind of substantial. On top of this galette. <laughs> I wanted to feel toothsome and meaty and not be not be too thin. But all I did was cut off the top, cut off the bottom. I didn't peel these. There's nothing wrong with the skin. It's totally edible. And so I'm going to roast them at 375 for until they're tender, basically. These like this, I'm guessing probably 40 minutes or so. Roasting beets is really, I think for a lot of people that maybe grew up not liking beets, the first time you eat a roasted beet, you're just kind of amazed that this is in fact what a beet is as opposed to the weird canned sort of mushy red kind of sickly sweet but also sort of dirty tasting because beets have that like earthy flavor and it can be really off-putting to you know if it's if it's too dominant if you can complement that earthiness and bring out the sweetness of the beet and the beautiful colors and it's really delicious so all i've done is slice these into eighth inch quarter inch something like that rounds and I put some olive oil and some salt and that's it and they can go into the oven and I will make the other preparations for my delicious galette. Galettes are a great way to treat vegetables in a way that you know pe maybe people who are leery of vegetables or whatever you know if you suddenly take those and put them on a piece of pastry dough they suddenly become much more appealing anything can go in these so the rest of what i'm going to do here my supporting cast the beets are going to be the star the supporting cast obviously i've got to make uh, pastry dough which we'll get to in just a second and then i'm going to make a farmer's cheese custard going to be mostly farmer's cheese but with lightened a little bit with egg and milk and that'll go on the base of the galette towards the end here i'm going to throw some pecans in to toast with the beets and we'll put some pecans on on the galette I also have some Point Reyes blue cheese, which is going to go on top of it too, because I like blue cheese. Yeah, that way, if I have too many bites of beet, then I get a bite of blue cheese and then I'm excited. Blue cheese is the thing, is my personal secret for things that, it's, it's a nice training wheels for stuff that I don't really, I never liked that much, but then I compare it with a little bit of blue cheese and all of a sudden I like it. Like olives, that's the only way that I'll eat an olive is if it's stuffed with blue cheese. Other than that, I'm not that interested in olives. That's why there will never be a check to pantry where the ingredient is olives. It's not gonna happen. Get out my Cuisinart to make my pie dough. Special pie dough technique, which was not invented by me. I think I got this one from, from the great, the great Kenji. Of course you can make your pie dough any way you prefer to make your pie dough, including by hand, which was how I did it for years and years and years and years and years, uh, because I didn't like food processor pie dough, because conventional food processor pie dough is typically tough. But with the very simple uh, trick of instead of cutting all of the butter into all of the flour, we first make a paste with all of the butter and part of the flour, like a third of the flour. And then we cut in the rest of the flour and it works really well. It makes a really nice flaky pie dough. It's super quick and keeps it from becoming tough because you get enough gluten development in the first shot with the butter. That's where you get most of your actual gluten develops and the dough gets worked so you get strength from that and then you get 
as the rest of the flower gets just briefly, briefly pulsed in right at the end, then you get the, the substantial body part of the, the dough, but without a lot of extra additional gluten that will make it tough and unpleasant. So it is an awesome method. I am using my very standard recipe for pie dough. Three parts flour, two parts butter, and roughly one part water. And I'm just using regular all-purpose flour here. I would prefer to use pastry flour, but unfortunately, you used to be able to get bags of pastry flour in Homer, Alaska. I have not seen it for a while. So I had 119, 120 grams of butter, which means 180 grams of flour. Ah, the metric system. And a little pinch. Dang it. <laughs> Sometimes old habits do tend to die hard. I went and dumped a lot more of the flour into here than I wanted to. Well, that's okay. It's just sitting on top of the butter for the most part, so <laughs> I can get most of it out. Third of the flour into the Cuisinart. Top on the Cuisinart. And you run it until the butter and the flour form kind of a paste. And then at the end, once you're once you've got your nice paste, then you add the rest of your flour and you just pulse it just until it looks like kind of a, you know, like kind of corn mealy. <laughs> you know what it really looks like is uh, Parmesan cheese in a can is <laughs> kind of what it would wind up looking like. Or as, uh, or as this guy I used to fish with called it, shake on cheese. A little pinch of salt, pulse that around and always Add your water in by hand. You're just gonna get a nicer texture. It's easier to control. It's easier to tell how much water you really need. Okay, so 60, we'll start with 60. Actually start with a little less than that, but and I'll add a little bit of it. I'm, I, I, usually, I never add all the water at the first go. You just gotta see how much moisture is in the flour. If it comes together with less water, great. If it doesn't, also great. The flour will tell you when it is time to stop adding water. And give it a quick stir. That's most of the water. There's a little bit left. It's starting to come together, but there's still a lot of unincorporated flour butter paste. So we'll add a little bit more water. This might actually take a little more than 60 grams. This flour seems kind of dry. Once I start to get everything kind of incorporated, then I'll I'll switch to just sort of working it a little bit by hand. And that's that makes it really a lot simpler to tell by feel. Like when it's, you know, it's right now it's still, I think, a little crumbly as I work it harder. Or not, you know, you don't want to work it too hard. We're not trying to knead the dough like like it's bread or anything. We're just kind of gently sort of working it together. And that'll it'll it'll definitely like as you work it just a little bit, it'll start to develop kind of a structure. You know, like at the beginning, I thought that actually looked a little dry. And now that I've worked it a little bit and I've sort of distributed the water a little bit better, now all of a sudden it, it really feels like it's sort of come together and it doesn't have that crumbliness that it did. It's still a little bit loose. You don't want it to be too tight, you know. You want it to have a little bit of a, like it wants to fall apart a little bit. But uh, it's definitely, it's got integrity now and it's got enough integrity. It's distinctly not very wet feeling. I think that is going to be just fine. So I'm going to wrap this in plastic wrap and throw it in the refrigerator for at least an hour. Kind of like salting steak, really. The, the longer in advance you do it, the better. But, you know, at least an hour. That gives the flour the time to fully hydrate. The water can fully move throughout the dough. The gluten will begin to relax. If you try to work it too fast after you make your pie dough, a lot of times your, your pie dough will be like kind of springy and you don't want that. Nobody wants springy, difficult to work pie dough. Now my last thing that I need to do here, and what is really my, my last bit of hands-on actual work, other than just rolling out the pie dough, is to make my cheesy custard stuff. <laughs> I don't know, it doesn't really have a name, I guess. Cheesy custard stuff, I guess, is gonna have to do. And for this, I could do this by hand, but this I think will be a little better because this cheese is pretty, pretty sturdy. This will be better if I just do it in the in the mixer. 
Now the first thing I'm going to do is put my farmer's cheese in. And this is, how much is this? This is a one pound thing. I'm probably gonna use a third of it, I think. I thought I wiped my knife down, but I guess I missed a spot because now my farmer's cheese has some nice pink <laughs> from the beets. All right, so I'm gonna add just a little bit of milk to this farmer's cheese. You can use cream too. I don't have any cream, so I'm just gonna use milk is totally fine and not very much like maybe like maybe like a half a cup it's just to give it a to loosen it up a little bit you can use cream cheese um, if you want or basically any kind of like soft cheese like this is fine personally I like farmers cheese better than cream cheese cream cheese to me is a little bland especially for something like this but uh, you can use it you can use goat cheese you know which is a classic with beets this is a this is a little bit lumpy, which is fine with me um, for something like this. You know, I wouldn't want to use this to make a cheesecake or anything, but <laughs> totally fine for this. Get all melty and delicious on the bottom anyway. And now I've got two eggs that I'm going to separate and just use the yolk. And this will just make a nice custard base. It'll give it an extra layer of uh, flavor on the bottom. I'll probably throw some herbs here in here too in just a second. And I find personally that using some sort of a, a really simple sort of thick custard base like this winds up helping the quality of the crust of the galette. It seems like it gets a little, it, it's less like soggy at the end. It, it kind of like coats it some and prevents like the juices from all the things that you're putting on the galette uh, from seeping down and making the crust soggy. And it tastes good. So what do we want to add? to our beet galette. It might be delicious. Hmm. So I'm gonna add some red pepper flakes. And, man, yeah, I do. Sitting here, I'm like, man, I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the caraway and I'm like, do I wanna put caraway in here? Do I wanna put caraway in here? And I keep thinking about it, I'm like, yes, yes, yes I do. I wanna put caraway in here. I don't know why, but, but I just want to. <laughs> So a little caraway, splash of red pepper, flakes. Give it a little bit of heat. And go ahead and put a little black pepper in the custard too. And I think that's probably enough. Okay, so that's my custard made. And I'll just put this now in the refrigerator as well. And we are on standby until the beets get out of the oven and until the, the pie dough rests. All of the really hard stuff is done. And that didn't take long. If you don't have to sit there and run your mouth like while you're doing it, it'll <laughs> take even less time. Next trick. I still have a few beets left. So we gotta do something with them. And I think I have just enough beets here to make a really nice little batch. But pickled beets. I really genuinely love pickled beets. Um, I don't make them near as much as I should, but I do find them very delicious. Love them. Again, not so much the kind you get at the store, but because they're always, they're always kind of mushy. But genuine pickled beets have a delightful crispy crunch and they are sweet and earthy delicious and I do happen to enjoy them quite a bit. So let's pickle some beets and for these I am gonna peel these. Um, I probably don't really need to but I always have in the past so obviously I need to do it now. First grab my jug of rice vinegar and get this rolling here. So just grab a pot and let's go with 600 grams of rice vinegar, 2% salt, which is a nice salt level for this kind of pickle. That is 12 grams of salt. We are going to want to add some sugar. Where's my sugar? Sugar, sugar, there it is. Probably 24 grams of sugar. So that's 4% sugar. We could probably make it make it more, but honestly, 
I don't want it too sweet, you know? Although, <laughs> the fact that there's an enormous amount of vinegar here that I'm not diluting either with, uh, with any water. If I'm going to go to the trouble of making some quick pickles, I want them to be very, very acidic. Uh, what else do we want here with our beets? What I want in this, I think would be really kind of tasty. It's another, it's kind of like the caraway. I keep looking at it and I'm like, man, I don't know why, but I really want to put this in there. So a couple of star anise, give it that cola anise flavor, cardamom, just a pod, just to give it a little bit of a lemony cardamom zap and a little bit of coriander seed. Anything else? No, I don't. Give that a quick stir to dissolve my salt and my sugar. Put it on the burner. And now we will carry on with the beets. For these beets, I am gonna peel these. I think, uh, I feel like it's a little nicer if you peel pickled beets. Don't ask me why I feel that way. I just do. Sometimes when you're cooking, you just gotta kinda go with what your, your instinct tells you. And my instinct tells me that in roasted beets, not a problem with the skin, but that with pickled beets, get rid of it. If your instinct says something else, go with your instinct. This is your beet galette, not mine. I don't have to eat yours. I do have to eat mine. What is there to say about peeling beets? These are just regular red beets, beautiful Synergy Garden beets from the soils of Homer, Alaska, Ketchmack Bay, the Homer Bluff. They have a lovely smell. Hmm, yeah. Smell like dirt. That is the objection that most, most beet haters have is that they taste like dirt. And they kind of do, but it's, you know, it's a good way. It's a good dirt. It's like if dirt was delicious. Honestly, dirt's not bad. I mean, you know, you don't want to like eat it, like make a habit of it unless you're one of the, uh, what do they call them? The, the people that eat clay. I can't remember the name of it now. Um, you know, like you shouldn't be eating a lot of dirt, <laughs> but a little dirt now and then, not going to hurt anybody. And you can, of course, if you are one of those people, you can wear gloves. But really, don't you want the world to know that you've been handling beets? Your hands are an advertisement for who you are. A person with bright red hands has either been up to no good or peeling beet, or both. For the beets, I'm going to grab my mandolin. I am a big believer in my pickled beets being extremely thin. That's how I like them. I like them to be as thin as they can possibly be. I think that's another thing I don't like about canned pickled beets. They're too thick. I like a paper thin, a wafer thin beet, I'm sure. So I'll cut the ends off of the beets to display the very attractive pattern on the inside. These aren't the, you know, the candy striped beets or anything, so they're not super cool, but they still look nice. They really are an attractive vegetable, which accounts for some of their popularity in restaurants. Restaurants like giving people pretty food, and beets are certainly pretty. Get this, uh, there we go. And here we go, mandolin. Nice thing about beets, cutting beets on the mandolin, is if you cut your finger off, can't really tell because it just looks like beet juice. Wafer thin. Remember on the mandolin, open palm, and then if you're gonna go fast, do it at the beginning. Slow it down towards the end. And then at the end, generally just pinch the top, whatever I'm doing, and I, particularly when I'm not in a restaurant and don't care as much about efficiency. A little tiny bit right at the end because it's not really worth peeling off my the skin on my fingers or anything. <laughs> but my lovely vinegar is boiling and I'm just gonna pour that right on top of these beets. Give them a nice stir to coat them in this vinegar, and I'm just gonna leave these for a while. <laughs> you know, very scientific determination of exactly when these reach optimal flavor. Mm. Raw beets are tasty. Nice sweetness. Earthiness is very forward. These beets have uh, 
a little bit of pepperiness right at the end, right at the finish. Just kind of pops out of nowhere. Really quite tasty. We'll leave my pickled beets a pickling. Let's take a look at our roasted beets. Still a little firm here, so I'll let those keep going. I'd rather these these beets be too tender than too too crunchy for the galette. So we're gonna get those nice and soft, leave them in there for a little while longer. about ready to assemble my galette. All the hard work's done. The beets are have been out for a while and one thing I can say um, is I actually wish I would have cut them a little thicker. The ones that were too thin, the ones that were really really thin or you know if I wasn't paying attention and, and got it a little thinner, they're super crispy um, which I kind of don't want. The thicker ones are really nice. They're, they're nice and tender in the middle which is the goal here. Something to consider if you are attempting to mimic this. And it's definitely something that I will consider in the future. Because <laughs> I'm definitely going to make this again. I'm pretty excited. The beets are delicious, by the way. So I just pulled my pie dough out. My galette dough. And I'm just going to roll it out to size. Nice and thin. Not too thin. That's why we love galettes. Because they're easy. They're not fussy. You just kind of make it. Doesn't matter how it looks, just as long as you don't put any holes in the bottom. You can get like super fussy with them and you know, if you want to, but honestly, I feel like this is one of those dishes that should just be really, really simple. Not fussed over too much. All right, so we are rolled out now. Gonna transfer it to, you can cook this on a regular pan, of course, but I, myself, like to do these directly on a stone, on a pizza stone in the oven. So I'm gonna put mine on a peel. I will, I almost always use parchment paper now on my peels. I used to do the semolina or cornmeal thing, and it's nice, you know, it totally works, but uh, parchment paper does too, and it's easier. Um, I roasted some mushrooms. That's uh, they're not going with the beets. I do want my wife to be able to enjoy some of this too. So this will be half beet, half roasted beet, and half roasted mushroom galette. Because she doesn't like beets, and I do. So I got my custard. It's a nice consistency. It's kind of the consistency of mayonnaise, but then as it, as it cooks, it'll firm up quite a bit. So I'm just gonna spread my custard in a circle. Remember with a galette, you're gonna fold the edges over so make sure there's plenty of uh, dough on the outside. And you can make this uh, filling nice and thick too. It doesn't have to be too thin. It can be substantial. Happy for that. That certainly is substantial. Very delicious looking. Yeah, it's firm enough to where it's not gonna run everywhere, but uh, it's not like stiff or anything, but mayonnaise is a pretty good, uh, pretty good descriptor of how it looks. Going to put my beets, arrange them around one half of my galette. Maybe a little bit more. She'll probably only have one piece, so I don't have to get the whole half. And go ahead and just slice my mushrooms here. And I just roasted those, you know, with a little olive oil and salt, pepper, half hour, you know, 425 degree oven or so. Mushrooms on. My oven now, I've just turned it down to about 400. That's what I'm gonna wanna cook this galette on. Uh, I toasted some pecans, because we're gonna put some pecans here in the galette. They're going in right now. Just topping everything. Now I got some green onions, because I love green onions, and green onions go really nicely with all of these flavors. Green onions on there. Blast! Little bit of deliciousness is some of this lovely blue cheese. This is Point Reyes, but you can use any blue cheese, but this stuff's really tasty. And I'm just gonna crumble it up with my fingers and randomly drop it across my galette. Oh, this looks really good, actually. <laughs> this, is, this looks really, really good. Get a little of that cheese on the edge, too. It's almost like a stuffed crust pizza. <laughs> just with pretty high quality ingredients. All right, so nice couple of ounces of cheese. Mm. 
Oh man, this stuff's so good. The various blue cheeses are really probably my favorite cheeses with the possible exception of soft ripened raw cheeses. But uh, those are impossible to get because we live in America. All right, now I'm just gonna fold my insides in. So people get really into, you know, making little patterns in their galettes and stuff. And, and if that's what you wanna do, you know, by all means, knock yourself out. I, I don't. <laughs> I just sort of fold them in and I think they look really cool. The last touch, which is something that I frequently forget to do, and it's not terrible if you forget to do this, but it's better if you do it. I just cracked an egg in a cup, add a little salt, beat my egg together. I'm gonna thin it out with just a little bit of water and make an egg wash for the outside. It does look, it does look better. It gives the crust kind of a nice shiny golden color that is for sure more attractive than a, than a non-washed crust so it is better but it's not the end of the world if you forget it okay so that's done and now my galette can go in my 400 degree oven and cook usually these take around 40 minutes but sometimes they take a little longer sometimes they take a little less usually i'll check it at 25 minutes just take a look at it just to make sure that nothing's happening too quick after that i'll check every 10 or 15 minutes or so until it gets close and then it'll be done all right so we will uh be back once this thing comes out of the oven there it is on the stone so i do have to apologize i forgot to turn my recorder on because we were eating dinner and i was hungry <laughs> When I pulled the galette out of the oven originally, I can tell you, I'm eating, I'm eating it, and even a couple days later, it is still extremely delicious. Um, it was awesome when it came out. The sweetness of the beets, and then the funk, and the, and the sharpness, and the saltiness of the blue cheese. It was, uh, it's so good. <laughs> even my wife, I wound up making a quarter of the galette with mushrooms, but I saw a little bit of beet get into her slice and uh, she still loved it. She thought it was awesome. I don't think she noticed the beat, but that's uh, that's sometimes what you want with things that people aren't sure about. So I have been uh, consuming it for lunch over the last few days and it's really, really good. So I decided to carry on with, uh, you know, kind of an eternal quest of, you know, most of the time, most days, most dinners, you'd be fine with just some roasted vegetables, you know, real simply put together. But every now and then, you know, you want something a little different. Hence the galette. It's a little bit, it's different. It's got some different flavors going on. It's got different things going on. It's a different presentation. It's got a different feel. I'm always kind of looking for ways of, of treating not just vegetables, but pretty much everything, you know, that way. Like, I want it to be a little bit different than I've had before. Not always, you know, some days you're just like, hey, I'm just going to throw this stuff in the oven, pull it out an hour later. But, you know, some days you want to, juice things up a little bit and sometimes it's kind of something you've never really tried before because there's a lot of things to try and we just can't get to them all while i was trying to decide what else to do with some beets i was like well talking about roasting beets wouldn't be very exciting and i thought about doing you know maybe borscht or something but eh, it's it's not something that has a lot of personal resonance with me so you know i figure i'll leave that to somebody that feels about borscht the way that i feel about gumbo because they would be better to listen to about that than me. But I am a firm believer in the idea that the greatest culinary genre, the one that I love deeply in my heart more than just about anything, is the culinary genre of stuffing stuff inside of other stuff. So that is what I decided to try with these beets today, because I've never made stuffed beets. And in fact, I've never even really heard of them being made. So never come across a recipe for them or if I have it never stuck in my mind as something to remember so I'm gonna try to make some stuffed beets and see if I can come up with something interesting and uh something worthy of maybe even make it for like a holiday or something stuffed dishes are of course classic on holidays because they're they're just sort of enough work and just kind of elegant enough to make people feel like they care. So I'm chopping some onions and I previously have got some bacon, some really nice bacon that uh, Terry Rubble gave me. Cooking down, I'm gonna cook some onions 
And I'm also gonna cook some garlic. And then I think that's gonna be the main flavorings outside of probably some herbs. And so anyway, while I was thinking about this, I wonder if I should roast the beets beforehand for a long time and cook the whole stuffing together relatively short time, or should I try to scoop out the insides of the beets while they're still raw, or not scoop, but cut and manipulate the inside of the beet out and add that to the stuffing ingredients and roast it all together, which is really the way that I would prefer to do most stuffed vegetable dishes like this. It's nice if it cooks for a while. The flavors have some time to unify. If you just add everything at the last minute, then everything feels a little bit distinct. It doesn't feel like it's had enough time to transform into something new. As I often do when I'm kind of pondering an idea and not sure if exactly how I want to do it, not sure if other people have tried doing it, I will often ask Chef Google what other people have tried to do. The consensus on pretty much every place that I looked is they all did it by roasting their beets first and then scooping out the inside, which was of course very tender, mixing it with their stuffing ingredients, restuffing it, and then putting it back in the oven for a little while. And I happen to have three golden beets and three red beets. And I said, hey, why don't I try it both ways? There's no better way to see which way might be best than doing one roasted and one raw, right? So we're gonna do a beet shootout, try and determine whether it matters. Maybe it doesn't, you never know. Sometimes you go to a bunch of extra trouble and it doesn't matter at all. I've already roasted my red beets. They are very soft and tender. I just pulled them out of the oven not long ago. I'm letting them cool down a little bit before I cut them in half and scoop out the insides. For the golden beets, I'm going to start them raw. A little bit challenging because beets are sort of hard, you know, firm at least when they're, when they're raw. So they're not super easy to scoop out. I have a little X-Acto knife that I keep around in the kitchen that most of its purpose is uh, slashing bread. But right now, it happens to be doing a pretty good job of cutting and scraping the insides out of these raw golden beets. My bacon's getting pretty crispy, so I'm gonna go ahead and add my, my onions and my garlic here. I'm leaving the peels on, figured why not, and cutting out the inside by starting by making straight cuts from outside wall to outside wall, and then perpendicular cuts to those. So you make sort of a cross-cut pattern in here, and then you can kind of start angling the knife and digging under, and little pieces of the beet pop out. Just, I, I cut off the top, keeping as much of the original beet as possible, and then trimmed the tail just, you know, down to getting the nasty stuff off. And once I start to get mostly hollowed out, then I'll kind of carve around the outside. It's a little bit like, a little bit like carving a pumpkin, I guess. Kind of interested in this. This could be a really interesting uh, dish. Just to tell you where my prejudices are here. Conceiving of this, I actually, I feel like starting with a raw beet, even though it's more work because it takes a little bit of extra time to get it scraped out and cut out. Like with the, with the, the red beets, all I'm gonna have to do is scoop out the already tender pulp. So those should be pretty quick. But with these, with the raw ones, it's a little, it's definitely more work. So I'm, I'm curious to see, <laughs> my prejudice is pretty much always like the thing that takes slightly longer is probably gonna be better, but that might just be justification for doing this amount of work. And I also kind of feel like the texture of this might be more interesting because it's gonna be kind of unavoidably uh, slightly mushy pureed with the other one. Whereas this one, because it's going in as kind of, you know, chunks, solid chunks, I think that we'll get a more interesting texture at the end of it. But I don't know that for sure. This is, this is an experiment for me too. Don't be afraid to experiment. And sometimes, particularly with flavors, you know, with things like beets that are very, do have a very, very distinctive flavor, you know, people that might not like that flavor on its own might suddenly find that when it sits inside a bunch of complementary flavors, that they like it, that they, they, they get something that adds to it, you know, and that's okay. You don't have to like, I know there's kind of an obsession with 
simplicity and having to eat things, nothing more than salt and oil. And yes, it is delicious. And yes, I am a full supporter of that. But sometimes people need help with certain flavors, certain textures. And part of the mission of the cook is to provide that help. There's definitely, there's not much mistaking a beat, but if you put it as part of a harmony instead of just an individual note, it's like the banjo, you know? Nobody really wants to listen to a banjo by itself, but put it into a bunch of complementary instruments, all of a sudden, the banjo becomes pretty cool. And even if you're already a beat lover, and you're a confirmed beat lover, and you think beats are great, this will also be great, because it just highlights a certain thing about beats. It's just a different way. But it's showcasing them too, you know, because these are stuffed beats. It's not like you're hiding them. You're not burying it inside of like a stew or anything where it's, you know, one of any number of indescribable vegetables, which is one way that people mistakenly, in my opinion, often try to hide things that other people that are supposed to be good for you or whatever is they try to mask them, but don't mask them, acknowledge them, bring them out and say, here they are, but we're going to treat this in a way that plays to some of its strengths. And we're going to put it inside of a beat too. So you're going to get lots of beet flavor here. Those are done now. And now I got a big pile of chipped beet. And I'm just going to give them a real quick rough chop here because there's a few sort of bigger chunks that came out. I just want them to be chunky and loose. And I think this will be an interesting texture. So I've got that in a bowl. And now I think my, yeah, my other beets are cool enough to handle. So I'm going to do the same thing. I'm slicing these uh, lengthwise, by the way, tip to tail. I'm slicing off the green end. And now with these, a simple spoon should suffice. Again, you want to be kind of gentle. Don't want to break the walls of the beets. Just a gentle scrape. And my one regret here is that I didn't conceive of this dish with enough time to make some creme fraiche. Because I think that would be magnificent cooked alongside these. I mean, really, really delicious. That is definitely going to be a refinement because if this turns out, I actually think I'll probably mix them for the next holiday party kind of thing I go, go to. That's that. And I'm just putting both of these in two separate cast iron, like nine inch pans. Um, you can use any sort of, any kind of skillet that can go in the oven because these are going to cook for a while in the oven. These are the kind of things that uh, it's really nice, especially if you're, you know, serving it as part of a meal like a coarse dinner or something. They're really nice if you can just cook them directly in the serving dish. So a, a gratin dish would work or nice looking, these are cast iron, enameled cast iron pans, something cool looking. And then they can come out, go on the table, still in their serving dish, all bubbly and delicious family style, which really is honestly my favorite way to serve food. I mean, plating's great and everything and it's got its place, but there's nothing that really gets at feeding people like <laughs> big platters of awesome stuff and rotten dishes and saucepans full of the things that you've cooked. They do shrink quite a bit when you roast them. That's another sort of thing I'm wondering is what the what happens to the structure here. Like are the outside of these beads gonna get so soft that the whole the whole thing just kind of collapses? Probably not, maybe, I don't know. I'm gonna cook the, the golden beets, the raw beets longer. I'm gonna give them at least probably a half hour head start, maybe 45 minutes. So that'll affect the way that the filling cooks as well. The amount of time that the flavors have to mingle. So my roasted red beets are now scooped out. They're not completely mashed, so I'm gonna mash them a little bit with this spoon. We're gonna make these exactly the same, except for one's gonna start with raw beets and one's gonna start with the cooked. So I'm gonna split my, my bacon, onion, garlic mixture in half and add half to each one and figure out what the next stuff I wanna use in these is. I'm gonna stuff these with. And let's add a little bit of salt. 
I'm gonna add some red pepper flakes to each. That's just a little bit of salt, so I've still got some still got some salt room available for some herb salé. Delicious salted parsley and onions and some other stuff. And I need something else. I have sour cream, but I don't like using sour cream in things I'm gonna cook for a long time because it has a tendency to break. So I think I'm gonna use some more farmer's cheese just to give it something to run between the, the bits, you know? Something to get them to stick together a little. So a generous blop, maybe a quarter cup. Mash that in, and I think two, do I have any? And I'm out of Worcestershire sauce, unfortunately. I think it'd be really nice in here, but I do have a little of elemental Worcestershire sauce, a little fish sauce, just a couple drops in each one, just to give it a little bit of funk there in the bottom. So my oven is currently at 400 degrees. Now that I've got my golden beets all mashed together and mingled with my spices and bacon and all that stuff, go ahead and fill each one of these. Fill it generously because you got more than what you started with. You kind of arrange them in here so they're propping each other up. If I had one more bead, it'd be perfect for this saucepan, but I don't. Okay, and now mashing my farmer's cheese into this shockingly pink mixture for the, the second one. I gotta say, if this these colors hold up, then the, uh, the red beets definitely have a very nice kind of a color advantage. They're pretty, it's pretty dramatic. You got a really dark red purplish beet on the outside and then the farmer's cheese lightens the stuff on the inside so it's like this pinkish neon purple stuff it looks it, it is really cool looking i don't know if that's going to hold up it'll probably darken you know the interior stuff will probably darken quite a bit in the in the oven so it probably won't be as dramatic when it comes out but right now it looks super cool so that might be a consideration for the winter too you know flavor is number one but if you can get if you have equal flavor, pick the prettier one, I guess. Volume-wise, we definitely got the golden beets that, that started raw are definitely kind of puffier, a little more voluminous, which is completely unsurprising. They're big chunks instead of mash. So my initial plan is to add uh, some chicken stock, specifically some hot chicken stock. However, I obviously used the can that I thought I had hanging out. Yeah, I don't have any homemade stuff right now. So we're not going to use chicken stock. <laughs> chicken stock would be very delicious. But we're not going to use it because we don't have any. And that is how she goes sometimes. But what I do have and what I think will be very delicious with this. Actually, you know, I'd really like, I'd really like it if I had some Riesling right now. I don't, I have a choice of very little bit too inoffensive white wine or a basic, really simple red table wine to give this a little extra something something. So I'm going to use a little splash of red wine and a fair amount of water actually um, because I do want to want to generate a lot of steam here and I want this to, to have like, it'll help it cook a little quicker and it'll also keep the tops from drying out too much, especially at the beginning. Um, and then later on towards the end, once we get closer to the end, I'll start thinking about adding something else to reduce and make a nice kind of sauce at the bottom. I'll probably wind up using some sour cream stirred in at towards the end where I don't have to worry about it breaking because it's not going to be boiling. But we'll see how this goes. I'm just heating up the water a little bit. It starts in the oven with a little, a little head start. Go ahead and add half a cup of wine, something like that. Port would be really nice in here too, I bet. It'd really complement the sweetness of the beets. Ooh, think about that for the future. Sherry would be good. I, a lot of things would be good, but Riesling, I think, would be like, oh, it'd be awesome. You know, it's got it's got so much acidity. It'd just be delicious. I'll just get my water hot. It doesn't need to be boiling. I'm gonna go ahead and pour that into my pan, and I'm gonna be fairly generous with it. I'm gonna come up to it's about a third. I'm, I'm just gonna drizzle a little bit into each of the cups too, because the one thing I'm a little bit worried about 
is the tops browning too fast? Because I do want to roast these at a fairly reasonably high temperature. I don't want them to dry out, is sort of my one concern here. So that is those guys in. I'm going to leave those in probably, I'm going to go 40 minutes, I think, with them. And then I'll come back and I'll stick in, I'll stick the, the red ones in the oven. Basically just to heat through since they're pretty much cooked. And uh, they'll just sort of fully heat through. And then at the end, in, I don't know, an hour or so, we'll have a little taste test. And I'll decide which one of these gets made next. Which style I prefer. So I'm curious. I'm really curious. I do like experimenting on this show. Go ahead and pull these out. Cooked the raw ones for about 45 minutes. Then I popped in the, the ones that were made with the red beets that had already been cooked. So I let it go for another 20 minutes and then I took a look at it and I thought it could go a little bit longer. So I left it in for maybe another 10 or 15. The sauce is considerably darker and browner for the ones that started out raw, mostly because I think the wine just had a lot more time to oxidize and cook. Just going by sort of feeling the texture, it feels to me like the stuffed beets that were pre-cooked, that were pre-roasted, have a more tender texture. My sauce is a little thin, which I pretty much expected anyway. I'm gonna need to finish both of the sauces. So what I'm gonna do is I got a couple of gratin dishes here. I'll put my stuffed beets in the gratin dishes. I'll reduce the sauces and then we'll, because I'm gonna wanna pour the sauce over the beets. The nice pinkish color is uh, still very apparent on these red beets. And if I did have creme fraiche or even just regular heavy cream, that would also allow me to skip this step of finishing the sauce because I just would have poured it in uh, quite a while, <laughs> quite a while ago and uh, occasionally spooned it on top of the, on top of everything and it would have naturally reduced and naturally thickened. Just gonna bring both of these up to the boil and I just wanna reduce them both just a little bit. Add a little butter, add a little nice generous dollop of sour cream and Stir that in until it's pretty smooth. Now I'm just gonna pour it over the top, all over the insides. So I gotta garnish this with something. And I happen to have a bunch of pickled beets. Now we don't wanna go overboard with the pickled beets, but I think they'll make a very nice and also a very attractive garnish. I'm also gonna use some green onions here I want to slice these pickled beets a little. Let's kind of like chiffonade them because they're very, they're very thin. I think that'd be kind of nice. Just finishing touches here. A little bit of white pepper and a sprinkling of some fleur de sel. So it's about time for me to pop one of these out of each one and give them a taste. So. First one I'm gonna try is our one that went in raw. The outside is definitely still got a little, maybe even more integrity than I would like it to have. <laughs> kind of wanted these to be a little softer. So I just popped it out and kind of everything fell out. Um, the flavor is really, really nice. It's very beet forward. You don't get a huge shot of bacon. The bacon is like this kind of thing that sort of underpins everything. There's a little bit of heat from the garlic and a little bit of heat from the red pepper. Texturally, this feels crunchier than I want it to be. It's delicious. I mean, it really does taste good. I'm just not sold on the texture. And I'm really curious to see what happens here with the next one. So the next one, yeah, this one, this one behaves a lot more like I wanted it to. Like when I cut into it, it just comes off in one piece and the rest of it sort of stayed inside. It actually has quite a bit more structural integrity than, than the one that went in raw. So let me give this one a taste. Hmm. 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 That's better. That's a lot better. <laughs> like a lot better. Like dramatically better. The beets, the sweetness of the beets is is first much more, much more developed. You know, again, it's not like sickly sweet or overpowering or anything like that, but it's definitely a lot more present. And because of this, because of that, the other flavors sort of become a lot more alive. Like the bacon is actually more intense in this one 
than in the other one. And I think it's partly because it's contrasted by that sweetness. So you notice it more. It's easier to cut. It holds together better. There's much more, too, there's much more of a, of a cheesy flavor in here, too. It feels like there's dairy. <laughs> the other one, it really doesn't. You know, it's not, it's not a, just a total puree on the inside, either. There's still enough integrity to the original beets that it's not just a uniform sort of mushy texture. But it's, it's more of a stuffing texture than, than the first one, than the raw one, which is, you know, like nothing quite coalesced in that one. Everything's still kind of an individual chunk. The flavor is just dynamite. It's head and tails above the other one. This is one of those things about food that's funny. Neither of these I would describe as bad. If you ate the golden one and didn't know anything about and, and didn't have the other one to for a reference to, you would go, oh, that's, that's pretty tasty, whatever. But it, like I've already forgotten it. The second one is so, when you eat them side by side, the second one is so obviously and dramatically superior to the first. You know, it's like the first is like an afterthought now. Like the second, it's still lingering in my mouth. It's filling my mouth um, and everywhere. It's not just one place. Like there's things happening that were not happening in the first one. And the only thing that is different between these two, other than, you know, one's red beets and one's golden beets, the only thing that's different is that the first one was handled with a different technique. One went in raw, one went in uh, roasted. So this is an excellent reminder that we all need because we all want to cut corners sometimes and we're all like, eh, we don't need to do it that way. That it really does make a difference. Technique matters and how you do things and the order in which you do things can have a dramatic effect on the end result. I can refine this into something that'll be really, really dynamite and really memorable. Creme fraiche is kind of the first thing that I can think of that would help this out. I'm genuinely a little bit excited actually because I've always had a hard time coming up with things to do with beets. Stuffed roasted beets is something to keep working on. Check the Pantry is a production of KBBI AM 890 in Homer, Alaska. It's produced and hosted by Jeff Lockwood. The theme music is String Quartet Opus 10, Movement 2 by Claude Debussy, performed by Quatuor Ebane. This is the second episode of the winter 2021-22 season of Check the Pantry. Support for this season of Check the Pantry comes from Bay Realty. Bay Realty has been listing and selling homes, lots, acreage, multifamily, commercial properties, and property management in the southern Kenai Peninsula since 1974. Learn more and view current listings at bayrealtyalaska.com or by calling 235-6183. Additional support for Check the Pantry comes from the Grog Shop Wine Club, which each month provides members with two or three bottles of unique wines that are currently unavailable in the Homer market. These wines are curated by Patrick Driscoll, who has worked at Michelin Star Restaurants in New York and is the only Level 3 sommelier in Alaska. More information at 235-5101. <laughs> Your financial donation as a listener makes this and other KBBI programs possible. Visit the KBBI public radio website at kbbi.org support to help produce programs like this.